Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Oh, it's good to be with you this morning. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. A couple people are still in the mood. That's good. Uh, I hope you had some good family gatherings this week, uh, and that even maybe tonight that will be the case uh, as well. Um, we just talked about worship, that we, we pour out our praise um, because of who God is, what He's done. Um, we think about worship more than just our singing. It's the way that we live. Part of that is um, our finances as well. Uh, that's the reality, folks, that we give because God gave. Um, God gave everything to us, and He continues to give um, what He has to us in provision. And so um, thank you for continuing to give. We, we give back in our tithes and offerings. That's, that goes to further His ministry in, the, in what He's called us to here at Summit Church. So thank you for that. Uh, if you're a guest, there'd be no expectation that you would give um, in our tithes and offerings. You are more than welcome to, but there would not be an expectation. We hope that you are welcomed today and encouraged and challenged uh, by by being here. I would ask that you would fill out a connection card when you are ready to do so. You can find those on the, oh look, we have a QR code. You can just do that instead. Uh, if you're more into that side of things, you can just boop, boop, you can do that, or you can fill out a card. Those are in front of you, and uh, we would love to get to know you. You can take that card um, if you fill out a physical one, and you can hand that to any of the people with a red lanyard. Um, you can go find Adam. He's counting currently. That's good. Or you can take it to the Connection Center out there. We would love to meet you, get to know you a little bit. Um, can I have some lights? I want to see the peoples. There you are. All right. Now I can see. Um, I just, uh, it's good to be here. My name's Chuck. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it's good to be with you in person. Maybe you're joining us later online today. Uh, we're glad that you have joined us as well. So grateful to be with you. Right off the bat, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 23. You can see that on the screen already. That's where we're going to be today. That's our passage for today. Psalm uh, 23. So just uh, about two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, dozens of children stood here uh, on these steps in front of you, um, your children and mine, and they recited for us, rather presented to us, um, Psalm 23. They recited that uh, from memory. That was an encouraging thing for me. I hope that it challenged you in your own scripture memory. Um, and Really, Psalm 23 is perhaps one of the most recognizable passages in all of Scripture, the 23rd Psalm. So it's one of those passages that is so familiar to us that most of us um, could probably recite at least part of it if we were challenged to do so. Um, we might have get some of the lines mixed up near the end. That kind of happens. Sometimes people mix in the Lord's Prayer on accident. That's fine. Um, but the challenge of reciting Psalm 23 from memory, especially I think in a group setting like this, is mainly what translation you picked up growing up, right? Uh, so is it I lack nothing or I shall not want? Is it thou art with me or you are with me? My cup overflows or my cup runneth over, right? Um, I know I've seen this from the platform. I see some of you like twitch when we read from a translation of a, of a verse that you like memorized or you knew as a child and like we read the wrong translation and you like twitch in your seat. When we, I've seen that happen. Um, this morning, we're going to be reading Psalm 23 from the New King James Version. I think personally it's a nice blend of modern yet formal 
uh, language that I think is recognizable for most of us. Uh, now, I'm not going to challenge you um, or your, challenge your memorization skills today, um, but I will invite you to stand as we read this passage. I'd like us to read it out loud together. I think it's worthy of our attention this morning. Psalm 23. Uh, if you have a New King James Version, I'd encourage you to read it from your word, um, but you can also follow along on the screen. Let's read this together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, so what is it that makes uh, the 23rd Psalm so appealing uh, to us? A uh, few verses, I think, keep such company, right? John 3.16, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, perhaps the only passages that rival its familiarity uh, to us. Um, so, of course, the, the imagery of such a passage, I think, grips us. Not only is it beautiful in a poetic sense, but the attraction of this popular psalm is found in the unmistakable imagery that pictures human life for us, right? So think of everything that is presented here in this, in this psalm, right? Contentment, walking through difficulty, the presence of evil, having enough, having little, times of gloom, times where the soul is refreshed, the experience of following another. I think we can identify with all of those things. And so perhaps more than any other passage in all of Scripture, the 23rd Psalm presents to us the reality of our lives, I think. Um, that which we face in and out every day, every year, year after year. But it does more than that. And this is, this is what I really think gets to people and why this is so attractive to people. We because we've, we've always been faced with things that, that show us the reality of life, the varied movement of life, but I think the attraction of this psalm is found in that it has an answer to such vacillation, right? So Psalm 23 speaks not just to the variance of life, but it flawlessly weaves together with it something firm, something solid, something upon which we can be grounded in the midst of life good, bad, uncertain, or otherwise, there is a constant through all of that. Now, whether or not we truly believe that, that the constant is a real thing, whether or not we believe it, that's beside the point. Um, what it speaks it beckons to us. We long for that to be true. And even, even if there are those who don't truly believe it, at least when I say don't believe it, at least as is evidenced by the way that they live their life, so I, I have seen unbelievers, those who do not follow Christ, experience a sense of comfort as the words of Psalm 23 course through their ears at a funeral service of a deceased loved one. 
Why? There, there's something about this psalm that whispers, this is what is true. But then for the believer, Psalm 23 presents an anchoring point that is more than merely imagery. This is my actual experience. This psalm, this psalm communicates in such simplicity the beautiful reality in which I exist. The ups, the downs, the ebbs and the flows, the tragedies and the victories, all through which I am sustained by a good God whose very presence and guidance adds color and satisfaction to all of life. That, that is the heart of this, of this psalm. And this is why I believe that, that common man, you and I, are gripped by such, such a poem. And so, so if that's true, if what Psalm 23 presents actually aligns with our everyday lives, what an opportunity that we have as we close this year and open the next, to cling to such an understanding of life. If this is what is true, then shall we not consider what our kids proclaimed to us so well a few weeks ago? Should we not ground ourselves in the truth that is revealed in this passage? In other words, can we frame an outlook uh, for the next year of our lives from this passage, understanding who God reveals himself to be and then the implications that has for us? That's what we're going to aim to do this morning through this passage. Now, I will tell you, uh, by no means is this going to be a deep excavation of this passage, okay? So Psalm 23 could be a sermon series in and of itself, um, even a full year of, of teaching. We ain't going to do that. We ain't got time, okay? Um, there's too much in here in this psalm. But rather, we're going to take a broad overview, some broad strokes, looking at phrase by phrase, perhaps, and considering the themes, so that we may know God. It's the first part of our process here at Summit Church. Know God, love people, serve the world, so that we can know God, which then provides us, I think, with confidence and contentment for the days that are just ahead of us. That's the plan this morning. Can you pray with me one more time? Let's pray. Father God, we ask that um, as we open and we consider your word, that it would not return void. We honor you, and we ask that by your Spirit, you would reveal to us what it is we ought to hear and know, transforming us from the inside out to become more like your son, Jesus, the Christ, our King. And we pray this in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's jump into this, Psalm 23. Now, this is commonly believed to be a Psalm of David. Um, we don't know exactly when he wrote this, but many believe it could have been uh, when David was in the wilderness, fleeing for his life from his uh, son Absalom. Now, if indeed that is the case, it does, I think, add a richness to the words that are in front of us, for he was in a dire place when he would have written this, right? And so let's start with verse 1, um, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, we need to stop there, okay? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And this is probably where we're going to spend most of our time, um, but we, we do this, you need to see that this uh, is really the umbrella statement at least for the majority of, of this psalm, okay? This sets the tone. We have two statements in this sentence. There's a descriptor of God, the Lord is my shepherd, and then followed by a blanket implication based on that descriptor of God, okay? So let's look at that descriptor. The Lord is my shepherd. It's good for us to know that what we have rendered as the Lord here is actually the name Yahweh, okay? 
Yahweh is my shepherd. Yahweh, the name for the covenant maker, promise keeper, God of the Israelites who gives us breath, who never fails to provide. This is the name that David starts with in this psalm. And you also need to know that he ends with it as well. We'll dwell in the house of the Lord. Yahweh begins this and he ends it. Okay? This is the name David starts with. Yahweh is my shepherd. And notice that he says, my shepherd. My shepherd. Not a shepherd, but my shepherd. David is establishing his relationship with this Yahweh. Now, you may not think that that's any great thing to point out, but it is. There are lots of dads, let me give you an example of this. There are lots of dads out there. But when I talk about Steve Zook, I don't call him a dad. That's my dad. There's a relationship here. This is a bond of significance that is being revealed. The Lord is my shepherd. He's not just any shepherd out doing shepherding things. He's my shepherd. And we're familiar with the idea of shepherds. Uh, just last week we read about some shepherds, didn't we? During the Christmas story, they're out in the fields, they're tending their flocks, they're minding their own business, and a host of heaven appeared. That would have been cool. Terrifying, but cool. And they received the good news that Jesus, the Messiah, had been born. They would have known about who the Messiah was, or at least who he was intended to be. And so they get this news and they go. And so these were smelly, low end of the totem pole members of society, these shepherds. Yet God chose shepherds to reveal to first the gift of the Messiah. Why? Now, I don't really know. That's up to God to say. But perhaps, perhaps it was because shepherds know what it means to care deeply about something outside of themselves. See, a good shepherd is personally concerned, personally. He is personally concerned with the welfare of his sheep. And so he is active in their lives. A good shepherd is active in the life of his sheep. And so here David, all of this in the first sentence, David here, refer, the first part of the first sentence, David refers to Yahweh as his own shepherd, essentially calling himself a sheep acknowledging his total dependence on the care of God, who, as his shepherd, is personally concerned with his life. You know, we see in Scripture that Jesus is described as the good shepherd in John 10, the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5. So the Lord is my shepherd. For believers, this is, this is exemplified and experienced through the person of Christ to us. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here because we still have that following statement. So the Lord is my shepherd, all of that in the first phrase, and then I shall not want. So this following statement begins to re reveal to us what it actually means to have Yahweh as my shepherd. And it, it, what it says is, I shall not want. I shall not want. You know, if I ever, if I ever got a tattoo, you're laughing already. Uh, if I ever got a tattoo, it, uh, it might be that. I shall not want. I shall not want. It's the gospel message. In that one phrase, I shall not want. This week, more than ever before, that was revealed to me in the first verse of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
Is that not the gospel message? The king of the universe calls me his own. Therefore, I have all that I need. I shall not want. I shall not want doesn't mean that I won't have desires or hopes or longing on this side of heaven. Rather, NIV renders this, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. And that really is the bottom line. But I love the wording of I shall not want. I shall not want. It's meant to be understood. I shall not be wanting for. I shall not be in, uh, left in want for. Now, we don't talk like that. Kind of wish we did sometimes, but we don't talk like that. But essentially, the idea here is that I won't find myself longing or grasping for what is essential to my being. Rather, all I need is fully provided for under the watchful care of my shepherd, who happens to be the God of all creation. I shall not be in want. The Lord is my shepherd. That is, so that is the tone setter. That is the uh, the context, the umbrella statement for, for the rest of this psalm. And so then what follows in the next verses shows us exactly what we shall not be left wanting for as we live then our lives. And again, I think that we can use this as a filter or a framework, if you will, to look at our next year, what is upcoming. What is God's activity in our lives and how can we frame our outlook on what's coming. I think there are seven of them that I see here in the next verses. God's shepherding activity, if you will, again, um, and they are written in the positive, uh, the things that we do not lack, the things that he does. So let's look at those one by one, and we'll go a bit um, more quickly than we did through, through verse one here, okay? So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, for verse two, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, Sheep don't lay down much. But when they do, it's because they're satisfied. Now, you must remember that David had spent considerable time shepherding, right? He was a shepherd boy. He knew all about sheep, how they worked, how they moved, what caused them to relax or be on edge. And so the picture here communicates this understanding. Sheep wouldn't, wouldn't lay down until they were satisfied with their grazing, Okay, so shepherds would move flocks around for multiple reasons, but always looking for that pasture that provided the best and most fulfilling sustenance, green pastures. He makes me to lie down. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. In other words, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I do not lack satisfaction. I do not lack satisfaction. Complete satisfaction, really. God, having my best interest at heart, knows what I need, and he will make me to lie down. He will bring me to places, be it literal or metaphorical, where I can have complete satisfaction in him. And this idea of satisfaction, you understand this term, it is one of utter contentment, uh, inward peace, satisfaction, and safety for the sheep who is within the flock of God. I am satisfied, fully content. That theme then continues of the things that I do not lack. If we continue in verse 2, he leads me beside the still waters. And I think the key word here is the word lead. He leads me. So the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I do not lack guidance. If the Lord is your shepherd, you do not lack guidance. Did you know in 2024 you don't have to have it all figured out. 
you can simply know that you'll have a guide to get you from here to there, to the end. Isn't that remarkable that you have a guide? God doesn't just save us and dump us off on a hillside and then, well, good luck to you. No, he's the good shepherd, remember? He's personally concerned with the welfare of, of who we are, where we ought to be going, what we ought to be doing. And so he leads us, he guides us by his word and by his spirit who speaks through his word. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I do not lack guidance. Again, I want to say so much more about that, but I shan't. Let's keep moving. Verse 3, he refreshes my soul. He refreshes my soul. You know what it's like to be really thirsty? You've worked out, you've mowed the lawn, you've walked through a desert. I don't know. You're thirsty, okay? You're parched. And then that cool water hits your tongue and it, you're just, you're refreshed. You understand that feeling. You know what it's like when God does that for your soul too, don't you? You've lacked faith. You, you fell into that old trap of sin. You've been in a spiritual desert. And then God guides you to still waters and refreshes your soul. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You get a shot of grace that you weren't expecting or streams of mercy just come pouring into your life, whether it's, it's through a song of, of worship or, or it's a visit from an old friend and he reminds you of that sweet gospel message that everything's taken care of already, it's already been done, that you're his and he loves you. And he just holds you for a bit and your soul is renewed again. When the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not be left wanting. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, that it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I do not lack renewal. I do not lack renewal. I do not lack satisfaction. I do not lack guidance. I do not lack renewal. Let's continue in verse 3. He guides me along the right paths, or the paths of righteousness, for his name's sake. Now, this is a continued thought from before. We have a guide, right? We established that. We have a guide who is leading us. Where is he leading us? Along the paths of righteousness, the right paths. And notice that it says, for his name's sake. Not for our name's sake. He's leading us along the right paths, but it's for his name's sake. The idea here is that as God is righteous, and he is the one who is leading us, the only thing that would fit within his character is for him to lead us in a path that is also righteous. The way that we should go, the most correct and right direction, because if he didn't, he wouldn't be living up to his name. It would be outside of his character, outside of his modus operandi. Remember, he is the covenant maker, the promise keeper. He is Yahweh. And so for his name's sake, he leads us in paths of righteousness, for he is righteous. He can't do otherwise because he is bookended by his character. Wrap your mind around that one. So whatever 
his guidance and instruction is, it is pure. Whatever path God has you on, however he directs you, it is the right one that leads you most directly to the correct destination. But what is that correct destination? Intimacy and dependence on him. That is what it is. That is the destination. It is to be with him in intimacy and dependence. Now, guiding us along the right paths, we can look at this in a couple different ways. Now, first, if, if we are to follow, if you are following someone, you are listening to them, you're following them along a path, if we are to follow him along the right paths, we, by default, must listen to his instruction. Otherwise, we would then leave the path. Does that make sense? Okay. Wasn't sure if you were tracking with me there. If we're following someone and they're giving us instruction on the way we are to go, if we don't follow that instruction, we are not on the right path no more. And so if we're following, we by default are listening to his instruction. Well, what is the Lord's instruction? It's his word. Psalm 119, another one that you could probably quote. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I do not lack instruction. If the Lord is your shepherd, you do not lack instruction. And what does that instruction do? Well, it enables you to stay on the path of righteousness. Not the path to earn righteousness, but the path of righteousness. To live within it. The second way to look at this idea of being guided along right paths is made clear through the next verse. Listen to the flow here. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now look at verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Some of you just read that in a whole new way for the first time. The whole flow of this psalm sets this up. God is our shepherd. He's guiding us along the right paths. And then with no break in form or caveat here, one of those right paths is revealed, and it's in the darkest valley. That is what this means. This is the reality. We live in a broken world, and sometimes the straight and right path leads through valleys. Do not succumb to the idea that hardship in any form is something that is outside of the sovereignty of God, and that escape from said hardship is in your best interest. When you are guiding sheep through hills and mountains from one pasture to the next, they are going to have to walk through some valleys. Valleys with ravines and steep rocks that, that keep out the light and there are wild animals there and evil men that are there and it's dangerous. But the indication here in Psalm 23 is that it's the right path. Moreover, even in the very shadow of death, it says, I will fear no evil. Come again? Lord, why am I here? It's dark. Things don't feel right. There's pain in this place. Yet I will fear no evil. 
Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I do not lack courage. I will fear no evil. I do not lack courage. Courage, confidence in where I am. Boldness despite difficult circumstances. How, how is this possible? Some of you are in the valley of the shadow of death or have just recently come out of it. You know what this is like. You've, you've been in a place where you said, Lord, it's dark. Why am I here? I don't like this place. It doesn't feel right. There is pain here. I don't understand what's happening, Lord. Yet, you will fear no evil. How is that possible? It's answered in the next sentence. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You are with me. Who is with me? The shepherd. The shepherd is with you. The shepherd, that big guy who created everything, who knows where he's going, who has the ability to protect you, who in reality has already defeated the evil that is trying to bring you down, you're on his team now. He is with you. We don't lack courage because he is with us. And did you notice the switch in this verse? The type of writing here from description to adoration. Did you catch that? Up to this point in the psalm, the psalmist is describing God. He's using the word he. And all of a sudden at this point, he switches to you. You are with me. It becomes personal. At the depth of this place in the psalm, the valley of the shadow of death, there is evil everywhere, yet I will, I will not fear it. For who? You. You, Lord, are with me. This is personal. This psalmist is pouring out what has been experienced in real time for him. And in real life, he moves from statements to intimate praise. Though I have been through it, God, I'm my shepherd, I know you are with me. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I do not lack his presence his presence. And this, church, is the whole point of this psalm, right here. Encapsulates every other picture presented. If you take away nothing else from this morning, if you know nothing else for the rest of 2024, know this, you do not lack his presence. You do not lack his presence. Take that with you, because he is with you. And being with God is the safest and most right place that you can be. It is the right path. You are in the center of His will when you are following Him in the middle of wherever it is that you are, the green pasture or the dark valley. One last implication here with God as our shepherd, His very presence with us, I see it at the end of verse 4. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, again, there's a lot of things we could talk about when it comes to the rod and the staff. Like, we're not going to spend time doing that. But the shepherd is with you. His rod and his staff are there with him, and they comfort me. The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I do not lack comfort. I do not lack comfort. I shall not lack comfort. Notice that it doesn't say I won't have pain or experience brokenness. We've already established that, right? Rather, I shall not lack 
comfort in the midst of sorrow and brokenness. And this is not some distant or, or casual sympathy that is expressed. You know, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. No. No, this is, this is deep empathy. This is compassion from the gut of our Savior. The picture of comfort is that God sighs with those who, who, who sigh. Can you imagine that? Like thinking about that? We can't even picture what God even necessarily looks like, and we shouldn't. That'd be idle, idling, right? But, but God, in who He is, He is sighing with those who sigh. He mourns with those who mourn, weeping, sitting shiva with them as, as they walk through pain. This is who God is. Psalm 34, 18 is one of my favorite verses. I, I've mentioned this before. We had, a, we had a professor at Bethel, Bob Lorenz, who would say, Where, what's God's address? It's PS 34, 18. That's what he would say. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and he saves such as have a contrite spirit. That's where God lives. These are the things we do not lack. We are sustained and we are comforted in our troubles by the Lord who is love. He is love. You know, these things, the Lord is my shepherd, I do not lack. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he, he, phenomenal. He, he often talked about how we listen to ourselves too much. He has a book um, in talking about spiritual depression and why we're so unhappy. We, we listen to ourselves too much. The thoughts come in and we, we have all these thoughts and we listen and we, you know, we're hearing the complaints or whatever it is, our sorrows. And he said, you know, the antidote to that is we need to talk to ourselves more. Stop listening and start talking to yourself. What are the things we ought to be telling ourselves? These are the things that you need to tell yourself. This is what you need to preach to yourself. The Lord is my shepherd. I do not lack satisfaction. I do not lack guidance. I do not lack renewal. I do not lack instruction. I do not lack courage. I do not lack his presence. And I do not lack comfort. You take those with you in 2024. We'll conclude our time here with the final two verses. Yeah, that was just the first four verses. We got two more. Again, do you see a, a form switch, if you will, in verses 5 and 6? We read through the verse 4 verses, 5 and 6. The metaphor changed. The metaphor changed. Sheep don't sit at a table, nor are they anointed with oil. That'd be weird. Okay? The metaphor has changed. We're in a home now. We're in a home now. The picture of who God is is now, is now changed for us. God has not changed, but the picture changes for us. It's another metaphor here. We've known God as shepherd, and now we know him as host. We're still under the same theme of provision and, and goodness, but instead of, of a shepherd, we are now understanding God as our, as our host. So whether we're out in the field, uh, the grazing fields, or we're, or we're home sitting around a table, God is the source of all that follows. And I'll read these verses again now, 5 and 6, and I want you to listen uh, keeping that lens now in place as God, God is our host. Hear these verses with that filter, okay? Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
I think I have this on the screen so they can read it. I might not have given you the marker for that, Denny. If you want to switch over, I think it's there. There it is. You prepare, God is our host, okay? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now these two verses here, I think there are, there are really four images that I believe powerfully picture the gospel of our God to us. The reality in which that we exist as followers of Christ. Okay? Um, the overwhelming theme here in these two, these two verses really is the lavish love of God on display, poured out to His children. So as He is the host, we are the recipients of His hosting. Okay? So let's look at the first picture out of four. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table. So what we're looking at here, a table, is the ultimate expression of hospitality. It's the preparation of a meal for an honored guest, right? So sharing a meal is one of the most intimate things you can do. You know this, you're sitting close to a person, you're sharing sustenance together. It's, it's intimate, more so when your own hands have prepared it, yes? When you have spent time preparing a meal, inviting someone, you're hosting someone, that is an intimate, an extension of hospitality. And that's what we're seeing here. And the, the miraculous part of this is that we're seeing this on the part of God. God is the host. God has prepared it, and He has extended the invitation to us. God offers us intimacy. He offers us intimacy. Now, on its own, God has, you know, welcomed, whatever. That, it may not seem to write home about much there, right? So God prepares a meal. On the contrary, in the context of the grander story of mankind's existence, make it more specific, in the context of your existence, this goodness of God should blow your mind. Although we were enemies of God, Although we were enemies of God, deserving of His wrath, He not only paid the price of death on our behalf that we might be rescued from the bondage of sin, but now He brings us to Himself, once His enemies. And He has prepared a place for us to bond with Him over a feast of His goodness. Moreover, He does this in defiance of my enemies. My enemies, that sin and, and brokenness that I used to identify with for so long. Who does that? God, our host, does that. Does that picture not just scream love to you? Maybe scream is the wrong term there. I don't know. It, the extension of hospitality and intimacy to an enemy. What great love God has for us, for you. He prepares a table and offers us intimacy. The second picture we see there continues again in the theme of this, this love from God. You anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. So again, in keeping with the picture here, an honored guest, as they would be invited into a home, to share a banquet meal or whatever it was, they would be anointed, the high guest of honor would be anointed with, with perfumed oil. And again, this is a mark of how, we don't do that 
you don't, we don't necessarily do that in your homes. Maybe you do. I don't know. That, cool. Do that. Um, we don't see that much. But a guest would be anointed. And this would be, again, a, a mark of hospitality and favor. An oil-anointed head was considered to be, to be blessed with, with joy and high delight. A gift of favor and delight from the host. So think about this picture. You, God, anoint my head with oil. God, you're anointing my head? Isn't this backwards? Shouldn't you be my guest? Lord, you're, you're anointing my head? You're the one who is pure and perfect. I, I'm... I'm little old. You're anointing my head? I, is this what Peter felt like in John 13? Jesus is washing his disciples' feet and he comes to Peter and he's incredulous at what he's doing. He's like, Lord, you're washing my feet? You shall never wash my feet, Lord. And Jesus says, you're not going to understand this now. You, you will later. But he looks at him and he says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. That's kind of nerve-wracking, but, but notice the action is still there. Jesus wants to wash his feet. And Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only then. <laughs> cover me. But also my, my hands and my head. Cover me with your love, Lord. And this is what he does. This is what God does. He covers us with his love. He covers us with his love. The third picture is this idea of a cup. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. It's a pretty simple picture to, to look at. Grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. Poured out to the point of overflowing. My cup runneth over. His kindness and His power, this grace continually poured into our lives that we might know His goodness and accomplish all that He's called us to. My cup is running over. However, if my cup is overflowing, if my cup is overflowing, then it's more than I can use. Right, Ricky? It's more than I can use. That's exactly it. My cup overflows that I might be a channel of grace to those around me. An agent of his love, an ambassador of his truth. He overfills us with his grace. Could you ask him to overfill your cup this year that you might be a blessing to others? Could you do that? What if that was your outlook for this year? Lord, overfill my cup that I might be a blessing to those around me. He offers us intimacy. He covers us with His love. He overfills us with His grace. I want to invite the team to, close, uh, to come to the platform. We're going to close our time in worship. Some of you are saying, wait, we had one more picture. We do, you're right. It's the picture of a house. We've looked at a table, an anointed head, a cup, and now a house. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know what forever means in the Hebrew? Come on, somebody. It means forever. For all eternity. We're talking about forever in the house of the Lord, the kingdom of His Son, the place that we have been brought to. And we don't ever have to leave. The Father has welcomed us into His home. God God isn't a host that thinks we've overstayed our welcome. No, He wants us there. Why? He loves us. I don't, we can't fully get that. I mean, we understand the idea of hosting and like someone overstays their welcome. You know, you know what that is. It's not that you don't love them, but at some point you're like, okay, like you guys should have left an hour ago, but it's fine. Sometimes you've been on the other side of that too. You've stayed too long. God doesn't do that. You don't overstay your welcome with God. He prepares a table for you. He welcomes you into himself. Now, I've already skipped the first part of that verse, so I, I got to go back. I don't want to miss this. That, that before forever part is the part before forever. Okay, so surely your goodness and mercy will follow me. And it says, all the days of my life. We haven't even gotten to our eternal home yet. All the days of my life, all of it. We have eternity in heaven to look forward to, yes. But the goodness and mercy of God, <laughs> our shepherd and our host, that, it's available to us today right now in Jesus. It's not just available, it's following you. It is following you. You don't have to go look for it. You are being pursued. We sang about this earlier. All of my life you have been faithful. All of my life you have been so, so good. That bridge, y'all love to sing this. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. And what is the rightful response? Exactly what the psalmist is doing here in, the, in this passage. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. This goodness, this chesed of God, it is the covenantal commitment to bless his people with loving kindness, covenant love, his grace, streams of mercy that never cease. This is who he is. This is what he does. He pursues us with his kindness. All the days of your life. All the days of your life. Turn around and look at the last year. Has he not pursued you? What have you truly lacked since you followed Christ? What have you truly lacked since you followed Christ? Nothing. I shall not want. In John 14, 23, Jesus replies, he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Check this out. My Father will love them and we will come to them. We will come to them and make our home with them. God wants to make his home with you. Why? I'm yelling a lot. I'm sorry. He, he loves you. He loves you. And so he pursues you with his kindness, longing to make his home with you. And as we've mentioned, this extends beyond our earthly life. 
For to be absent with the body is to be present with God. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That's our eternal home. There's many rooms there. He pursues us with kindness. Church, all of these that we talked about today, these are the promises upon which we can stand. This is what you need to preach to yourself in the next year. The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, you do not lack satisfaction. You do not lack guidance. You do not lack renewal. You do not lack instruction. You do not lack courage. You do not lack his presence. And you do not lack comfort. I can live the next year if I can stand on those things. As God is your host in the next year, all of his love, all of his grace, all of his kindness is extended to you. And the reality is that his presence in our lives affords us to face the year ahead with confidence and contentment because we can be fully satisfied in who he is and what he has done. That's this message. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, Lord, you are so, so good to us. Your goodness, your mercy continually chases after us all the days of our life. You stand at the door and you knock and you love and you welcome us into who you are. Lord, I ask that these things that we have, have seen in your word to us today, your holy word, Lord, we already prayed this, that they would not return void that you would write these things on our hearts, that we have complete satisfaction in you, that, that we would repeat these things to ourselves, knowing that they are true, that, that we have comfort in your presence and guidance and restoration, renewal, your very presence with us as we walk, so that whatever it is that we face, whether we're, whether we're in the green pasture, whether we're in the valley of the shadow of death, we can move forward because you, our shepherd, our host, you are with us, you are welcoming us, you love us. And Lord, armed with that truth, this we know, that the enemy will flee, we'll see the victory come, and we will walk in the faithfulness of our God. Lord, help these things to be true in our life. We place our trust in you, our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.